take your Bibles. Just enjoyed our singing today so much, but let's look into the Word of God. If you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we have uh, been moving through this book and it's so good, this letter from Paul, the apostle to Timothy, and, and we're drawing to a conclusion here in chapter 6. We have a few more sermons to go, but it's been rich. God has much to tell his church using the Apostle Paul. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this into the world, so we can take we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into, into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You, Lord, for... Just the wonderful songs that draw our attention to you, that that kind of um, prepare our hearts to hear, receive your word. Lord, you are a majestic God. You are a God of glory and greatness. You are a God to be feared, a God to be loved and obeyed. Now, Lord, as we approach your word, may we keep this in mind. Uh, May we see dangers. May we heed Your warnings from Your Word. And I pray that it would affect our hearts and our minds and our lives. That we would go out and apply these things to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul is dealing with some false teachers in the church at Ephesus. And he's... um, He is then writing this letter to Timothy concerning these false teachers, and he's warning them the problem with the false teachers is that they're motivated by greed, motivated by gain, he says, he calls it, Uh, money, wealth, Um, and all that money can buy, all that goes along with that, Uh, of course, an easier life, uh, a prominence in the community, all that goes with the Money. And these false teachers then were using godliness as a cover for their greed. And the, the part you don't see was the, the greedy heart. And they were putting on religion to get ahead financially. This wrong thinking about money, this wrong attitude about money, was probably under the surface of the church. It may not have been a a prominent sin, but it was lying dormant there. And it's probably because of the influence of these false teachers and the greed that they had. We'll see that in just a minute. Paul is is giving them kind of like a a road map, maybe a map of a minefield. Now, think about it. If you know that you have to get from point A to point B and there's this field in between, there's been planted some mines there, you would want to know where those mines were, right? You'd want to know that. 
And if anyone had drawn a map and kept track exactly where those mines are, you would want to get that map and, and be able to avoid those landmines. That's what Paul is doing for us today. He said there's some warnings here. You have to tread cautiously, tread carefully, because there's, there's things to be heeded. There's danger out there, and you need to know it. There's danger. So Paul is giving the church, he's giving the church at Ephesus a warning, and he's giving all of us a warning concerning money. He's bringing up the subject of, of money. Now here's what I want us to see. Believers must understand that the love of money, you may call it greed, but the love of money produces danger to the Christian life. There's dangers out there because of the love of money. And, and it's like this minefield and you have to maneuver. And Paul's going to lay out those dangers for us. And he answers the questions for us. What are some of the dangers of the love of money? What are the dangers out there of loving money? And he gives us five dangers. And I want to get right into them right away. The first one is the, the love of money distracts from spiritual blessings. It distracts from spiritual blessing. Look at uh, verse 6. He says, but... Now that's in contrast to these false teachers that are motivated by greed. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when it accompanies, when accompanied by contentment. Now these false teachers were using godliness to get gain. And they had gotten it backwards. And Paul uses kind of a double meaning here. The, the gain that they were looking for is money. And Paul's saying, no, there's great gain to be had, but it's not, it's not physical uh, gain, it's spiritual gain. It's the, the benefit of, of spiritual blessings. And it comes when someone has contentment. Godliness plus contentment is great gain, Paul says. Now the word contentment, you have to understand that word. It's a great word. And it kind of turns this whole passage turns on this one particular word it means self-sufficiency and you think man that doesn't that doesn't correlate uh, contentment self-sufficiency now it was used by the the philosophers the old greek philosophers to describe a person who is unflappable unflappable meaning that they were unmoved by outside circumstances they always responded the same way the right way to life they were not going outside themselves to find happiness, essentially. That, that's the idea. Happiness was within themselves. They were content. They were satisfied. They were sufficient. They didn't have to sink outside themselves or something that they didn't have for satisfaction, for contentment. That's the idea. And now these false teachers, they were playing religion to gain to gain money, to gain wealth. Now, we need to understand, as believers, we need to understand that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have turned their back and repented from their sins and turned to Christ. We have been given every spiritual blessing. We have it. We have the ability to be content, genuinely Peter says that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We do not have to look outside of ourselves. Now, I want you to see this. And this is why Paul can say this godliness or this evidence of, uh, 
of uh, genuine faith in our life and reverence toward God, that's godliness, plus contentment, that satisfaction, that self-containment, that our, our happiness is not outside of ourselves, it is inside, is great gain. Is gain. True godliness then produces contentment, you might say it that way, and spiritual riches. Now Paul is emphasizing the spiritual riches here. The spiritual blessings that we have. Now you need to see this, and it again, like it said, it hinges on the word contentment. Look at the way Paul uses this. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter three and verse five. He says this not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Really, with, within ourselves, we don't have it. But with, when God is in us, when we are in Christ and coming from God, then we can be content. We are adequate. He goes on to say, who else made us adequate or who also made us adequate as servants? God is the one has made us adequate. Our roots go down deep to the, to the, out to the river. And we're sustained by that. Turn over to uh, chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 8. Kind of flesh this out for us a little bit more. And God is able to make all grace, all grace, abound to you. So that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. Do you see how many extremes there are? We are content within ourselves. We have uh, all the grace that we need. All of it. We don't need to look outside of ourselves. We are sufficient in Christ. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. You know this passage well. Philippians chapter 4. And Paul just fleshes out even more. And Paul's a perfect example of his own life here. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be what? Content. I, I realize that happiness does not, and my joy does not come from without, but it comes from within. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In, in any and every circumstances, I have learned. Now, that's important. He's learned it. It's something that he has, has come to, to understand and come to uh, to realize, and he's learned it, learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He recognizes the source. And we have Christ within and ourselves. It is Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have every spiritual blessing. We've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have it. We are all sufficient. All sufficient. So when we go to the Old Testament, we begin to realize what David is talking about here, what David was experiencing in the passage that was read to us in Psalm chapter 63. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 5. Let me read it for you again. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts after you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. To see your power and your glory. 
Because your loving kindness is better than life. That's loving kindness. That's grace. It's better than life. And he goes down to verse 5. My soul is satisfied with you. It's, it's fat. Bone marrow. Just It's fat. I'm satisfied with you. That's the Christian life. That's all of God's people. We can be self-sufficient when we have Christ. It is within our power. We can be content. One other verse that you need to know, because Christ used this, back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, we've been studying Deuteronomy in, uh, on Wednesday nights. And it's a great study. If you're not part of that, you really need to come out and be a part of that study. Wednesday nights. And we are in chapter 8. I came across verse 3. And it says this. He humbled you and let you be hungry. God let them, let the children of Israel be hungry. So then he can then come in and he says, And I fed you and fed you with manna, which you did not know and your fathers did not know. So that. Now here's the purpose. Here's the reason. That... That men, that man does not live, now he says, he says uh, so that you might understand that men do not live by bread alone, but men live by every word or everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, how, how is that familiar to us? That's exactly what Christ used. When he was hungry, I mean, talk about hungry, he was hungry. The Satan comes along, hey, you're hungry? Uh, uh, go ahead and turn those stones there into bread. And Jesus had the right perspective. He, he was not distracted. He says, no, no, my father, he'll take care of me. And, and men, men need to live by every word or everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the right perspective, folks. That's the right perspective. That is the real nourishment for the Christian life is in God. And He is our life. He is our life. That's what Christ was saying here. Greed, the love of money, says that happiness is just outside of us. And we have to go get it. And then you'll be happy. Then you'll be content. But Paul says, no, godliness and contentment, understanding who we are in Christ, understanding what we have in Christ, now that's going to lead to great gain. There, there's, there's profit in that, and we understand that to be spiritual blessings. And these false teachers had it backwards. They had it backwards. Godly men are not motivated by the love of money. Godly men are motivated by love of God. We're self-sufficient we, we are content. We can be content. True contentment does not depend upon our circumstances. That means it doesn't depend upon the kind of car that I drive or the kind of house that I live in or if I have a boat or if I'm able to take this trip or that trip or have these friends or have this marital status or have these children or have a, have a, a, a perfect job. It doesn't depend upon my popularity. It doesn't depend upon my wealth and, and health. I can be content even, even though all of those things may be taken away from me, like Job. I could still be content. Why? Because I have Christ and the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not of, of ourselves. It's of God. Our, our contentment is in God. So these are spiritual blessings that feed our soul that, become, that bring us to contentment. Number two, the love of money. 
the love of money places our focus on the temporal. It causes us to have the wrong perspective. And it places, and it's like it guides our thinking, it guides our mind, and puts it on the temporal rather than the eternal. Now look what he says in verse 7. He says, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. Now we didn't show up with a suitcase in our hand, did we? And we're not going to get into heaven with a suitcase in our hand. We're not going to take it with us. We're not going to... Uh, it's just temporary. It's just for here on this earth, money is. And it's foolish to have a wrong perspective. And Paul is just pointing out that it's almost ludicrous. We didn't, we didn't come with this. We didn't come with anything. The, the spiritual realm doesn't depend upon money. Money has nothing to do with the spiritual world. Now Christ was making this point back in Luke chapter 12. Turn over there. Luke chapter 12. It's a passage that we need to understand. We need to know. Luke chapter 12. Christ addresses this issue. Now he's talking to a crowd. And, and you can imagine one of, one of the persons in the crowd hollers out. And he says, now Jesus, he says, uh, make, uh, make my brother share the inheritance with me. He's not sharing with me. And Jesus says this. Here's how Jesus responds in verse 15. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, beware. <laughs> There's a danger here. A danger. And he says, beware and be on your guard against every form of what? Of greed. It's a love of money. Every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Listen, you have that eternal perspective. And what you have here is really menial. It's, it's nothing. Even when you have an abundance. That's not your life. That's not you. That's not the real person that you are in. And he goes on and tells a parable. And you know the parable. The, the, this rich man, he has a lot of wealth. And, and he just sees all of this wealth. And he says, man, I don't even have barns big enough. I'm going to tear down my barns and make bigger barns. He had the wrong perspective. And here's God's commentary on his life. In verse 20, Jesus says, But God said to him, You fool! You fool! This very night, your soul is required of you. And, and who will own what you have prepared? And somebody else is going to get it. You, you have the wrong perspective. It's a foolish perspective to have. To, to, to amass this wealth. And then Christ goes on to say, so, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself. He's going to amass all of this wealth and all of this treasure. Why? You can't take it with you. That's just a foolish perspective to have, as opposed to, he says, at the last few verses, a few words there, he says, and is not rich toward God, stingy toward God. But boy, he's got a lot of wealth. Um, I like what Job said. You, you know this passage as well. Job chapter 1. He said almost the same thing that Paul, Paul is saying. Same perspective. He says, now Job just had been hit. All of his stuff had been taken away from him. And he just he throws up his hand. But, but he worships, he says. And he falls down to the ground, actually. And worships. And he said, naked I came into the, from my mother's room. And naked I shall return. And he says, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. He recognizes the temporality of this, this life. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that's the right perspective. 
And when we have a love of money, when our life is controlled by greed, we lose that perspective. Solomon picks up on that several places. Ecclesiastes. But the bottom line, he says, riches are not forever. They're temporary. They're here on this earth. They mean absolutely nothing. And we don't... And we depend upon what God provides for us now. We're dependent upon God. Now here's... I like what John MacArthur says about this passage. He says, Paul is not condemning having possessions... If God graciously provides them, no vow of poverty is required, but he does condemn is what he does condemn is self uh, indulging desires for money that rises from discontent. The supreme goal of the believer's life is to love God and to glorify God, not amass uh, wealth and possessions. Money is limited to this earth. It really has, it just, uh, it causes us to think too temporal, too much of this physical world. One commentary said, said this, John Kitchen. He says, uh, material gain is essentially irrelevant. I mean, really, what difference does it make how much money you have in your pocket right now, a thousand years from now? When you look back, it's not going to matter a hill of beans. And therefore, he goes, he draws the conclusion. He says, material gain is irrelevant and greed is irrational. When you think of it in light of eternity, it's irrational. I'm going to pile it all up. I'm going to get it for myself and pile it up. It's irrational. Christ said, God says, uh, he calls your life into account. You lose your soul. He said, it's just irrational. It's not the way we think. Money is to be used for the kingdom of God. It is to be invested for the spread of the gospel. That's the only real purpose. Uh, Of course, it provides our needs, but it's the spread of the gospel. Let me ask you. Before you buy this, before you buy anything, before you buy anything, you need to ask this question of yourself. How can I use this, this object, this thing, for the glory of God? How can I use this for the spread of the gospel, for the building up of the kingdom of God? How can I use this? How can I use this house? Can I have people over to disciple? Can it, can it be used for small groups? How can I use this house? How can I use this car? How can I use this whatever? How can I use this computer for the glory of God? Everything that we buy, you should run it through that little filter. How can I best use this for the glory of God? Essentially, the things that we have are simply to be a tool for the glory of God. To build the kingdom of God. The spread of the gospel. Number three. Love of money robs our contentment. Even here on this earth, even when we don't have the, the spirit of you, even here on this earth, it just robs us of our own contentment. Look at verse 8. Paul says, we have food and covering. That's very minimal. If we have food and covering, covering there could be clothes or it could be a shelter either, either way. Probably in this context, it's talking about clothing. Uh, if we have food and clothing, with these... These small things, just food and, and clothing, this, these things that the Lord has provided for us, if we have uh, these food and clothing, then, then these we shall be content. We should be content. It's the love of money 
that robs us of our contentment. It's a greed. It just feeds. It never says enough. It's just constantly building. It's never satisfied. And it robs us of the contentment that we can have here on earth today. And that's exactly what Christ was saying back in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, is given the right perspective of money there. In verse 25, he says, For this reason, I say to you, do not worry. Don't, don't let it rob you of your joy. Don't be anxious about these things, about your life, as to what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will, uh, and, and about your body, with what you will be, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. He says, you know what? Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more important than the birds? Yes. You know, God is going to take care of us. God is going to take care of us. We just have to learn to be content. Now, really, Paul is emphasizing a simple life here. We're not dependent upon a lot of stuff. It's just, look, God provides. God provides not our wants, but our necessities. Sometimes our wants, God provides. This does not mean that we do not get out and work hard. But it does mean that we recognize that everything that, that comes, or everything that we have comes from God. It is God who is providing our needs. And what we need to do, we need to learn to be content with what God provides. You say, well, what does it look like when you're not content? Well, turn over to James, the book of James chapter 4. And James just spells it out for us. James is just a, just a, tells it kind of like it is. Chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, what's the, what's the source of quarreling among you? The conflicts among you? Is not the source your, your pleasure that wage war in your members? You lust and do, not, and do not have because you commit murder? Let me go back. Is it not the source, your, your own pleasure? That's, that word's desire there. It could be greed, a greedy desire, a insatiable appetite for whatever, for everything. You lust and do not have, you commit murder. You are envious, same kind of concept there, this greed, this, this uh, covetousness. You envy and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Look, you're, you're, you're sacrificing Spiritual stuff on the altar of the temporal. And it's driven by your greed. And, and the thing is, is that it causes this unity within the church. It causes this unity within the family. When we're driven by greed, the love of money tends to rob us of our contentment. Robs us of that. We're, like I said, never satisfied. The, the, uh, the Greek philosopher Going back, he he says this. He says, add not to the man's possession, but take away from his desire. That's a good good thing for us to think about. Lord, I don't need more. Take away my desire, that love for more. Now, here's the real prayer for the believer, though. It's in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, and I, I believe Solomon has it right here. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8. He says this. And this is, this is my prayer. This is the prayer for the believer. He says, keep deception and lies far from me. 
Lord, I don't want to go into that. I don't want to be accused of that kind of sin. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't take me to any extreme. Don't give me uh, extreme poverty or extreme wealth. He says this, and, and I like this. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Lord, of all the food that's here on this earth, I know that you've allotted so much to me. And Lord, just give me that. I'll be content with that. That's all I need. He says, that I will not feel, be filled. If I go to one extreme, I'm filled. I might deny you, he says, and say, who is the Lord? Or that I may be in want, that I may be so hungry that I, I steal and profane the name of the Lord or the name of my God. That's the right perspective. Lord, I'll be content, Lord, with what you give me. I know that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to live in, in that. Just to learn, like Paul said, learn to be content. Learn to be satisfied. Learn to be self, uh, self-contained, self if you will, with the Holy Spirit uh, giving you and nourishing you. Contentment has to be learned. We have to renew our mind about contentment or about money in general. We have to realize and line up what is important to God and His Word. And we have to line up our thinking with God's thinking. And this contentment, it may, it may be ranged. It may range from, from nothing to plenteous like Paul's. And, and, and it may be throughout your lifetime you have nothing and then you have plenty and then you go back to nothing and then you have plenty again. You never know. And so the Lord may teach you that, may want you to learn that. You say, well, how do I learn? How can I learn it without going through the extremes? There's one commentary that said this, and I liked his list of, of things. Here's how to, to, to handle contentment, how to learn to be content. Believers must consciously, so it's using their mind, consciously realize that the Lord owns everything. It's all the Lord's. Remember, we're just here. Oh, we didn't bring it with us. We're not taking it with us. Uh, it, this is just here temporarily. We just use it. When we're finished with it, uh, it's passed on to the next. But it's all the Lord's. We also need to cultivate then a thankful heart. If it's not ours, if it's the Lord's, and He's just giving it to us, what does that mean? It means we need to be thankful. Develop a thankful heart. He goes on to say we need to learn to distinguish between wants and needs. Wants and needs. We have basic needs, but boy, we want an awful lot of stuff many times. We need to discipline ourselves to spend less than we make. Lord, Lord, uh, now, uh, look, I know this is my portion, but I'm going to go ahead and spend this much, and, and maybe you'll learn to spend less than we make. And the last thing he says, uh, to give sacrificially. We need to learn to give sacrificially. We need to trust the Lord with this. We need to send our, our money on ahead, up into heaven. We need to invest it into spiritual things. So we must learn to be satisfied. We need to learn to be content with the simple things that, that God has given us. Really, we need to just learn to, to control our desires anyway. We need to learn to, to live with the simple things and find the joy in the simple things of life, don't we? Things that God provides many to, to all of us. I mean, it's just a simple meal with your children. A conversation. People in general. 
the, the beauty in life, the relationships in life. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that matter. And those, those, uh, those are the things that we need to find our contentment in. Number four, love of money. Here's another landmine, the love of money, and we're steering away from it. Loving money dangers or endangers our Christian life. There's a danger. It's just like any sin. Any sin can just grab hold of us and snare us and uh, take us down the wrong path. Verse 9, he says, but those who want, those who want to get rich fall. The word want there is, uh, it's not just a passing whim. It's not just an emotional thing. No, it's reasoned, calculated. Uh, It describes Describes a, per- a person that is uh, guilty of the sin of greed. They intentionally going out. And it, and it drives them. It, it consumes them. It's a consuming drive that controls their life. Essentially, he says, those who want to get rich, who are driven in this way, what do they do? They fall. And generally, you don't fall on purpose. A fall is an accident. It's something that accidentally happens to you. You don't intentionally fall. It's something that you don't expect, you don't anticipate, or you would probably catch yourself. You fall. So he says those who are going after this, they they fall into temptations. Temptations, this enticement to sin, this enticement to to kind of show off or or to neglect the poor or maybe uh, a temptation to lie or to cheat over here or to steal or even murder, even murder. And he says, fall into a temptation and a snare. You know what a snare is? It's a, it's a trap, something that grabs hold of you. You're walking along, you step in a, a trap and you're stuck. You're stuck. Your freedom is is gone. It's been robbed. It's snatched you. Sin can do that. Any sin can do that. But particularly this sin of greed, it can grab hold of you and it will not let you go. You have to fight to get free. It also leads to foolish desires. Foolish desires. Those desires, those things that direct our mind to foolish things. That's the idea here. Senseless things. Things that get us off target. Things that will harm us. Harmful desires, he says. And as a result, he says, you are plunged. These desires, these harmful desires, all this, they plunge a man into ruin. Plunge there is to submerge. It's like putting a ball and chain around your leg and then throwing that into the ocean. And you sink down. And it drags you down to the bottom. This sin, it entraps you. It snares you. It's, it's got you. It robs your freedom. And then it throws you into the ocean. You just sink down. You, there's no escape. And he, he says there's, it's ruin. Utter corruption. Destruction. One commentary said, I believe he's right. He said this destruction is, is really a loss of eternal life. There's no eternal life there. It's, you're killed destruction that's the idea so i like again what john kitchen said that which promises pleasure may be injurious injurious in the end the love of money is a trap that christians must avoid you say well i don't have any money so i I can't love money i don't have it no that's not true 
Even when we don't have money, we wish for it. We think about it. It can consume our thinking. One commentator said, these desires lead to the opposite of true happiness because they have nothing or not, nothing whatsoever to do with spiritual realm or serving God. And that's the realm in which we find joy. So love of money is essentially idolatrous. It is having another master other than God. It's greed. Christ said there's only one master. You can only have one master. Let me go on to number five. Number five, the love of money exposes the heart as having a master other than God. It's idolatrous. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. I know some translations say all evil, but it's better translated all kinds or all sorts of evil. And some have, by longing for it, there's that desire, there's that greedy drive again, that by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. Wandered away from the faith. He said it's the, the root. And you don't see the root of the tree. It's underground, right? But it feeds the rest of the tree. And if you have a, a root of, of money, a root of love of money and greed, then it just it feeds that. Feeds that whole plant to the rest of the plant is affected by that. But it exposes the heart. It's exactly what Paul is doing here. Is exposing the heart as a covetous heart. Now, there's a few examples of this. In fact, just, just turn over a couple pages to First Timothy chapter 1. Remember, he's talking about Hymenaeus and Alexandra. They were false teachers they had to throw out of the church. They were probably elders that they were teaching. And he's probably talking about them. He could be talking about them. Because that underlying motive that they may have had was greed themselves. And look what happened in verse 19. Keep the faith. And he's talking to Timothy. Keep the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, suffering shipwreck in regard to their faith. They went down the sinful path. And their faith is, is shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexandra, which I have handed over to Satan for blasphemy. Teaching things that were wrong, but their motives were wrong as well. Another example of this is in Second Timothy. And this one just breaks your heart. A companion of Paul, Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Just a, a quick little a snippet from Paul just to kind of let you... Know what's going on, Timothy. He says, make every effort to come to me soon. He says, for Demas. Demas had walked with Paul, had been a disciple of Paul, and helped Paul along the missionary journey. Demas, having loved this present world, has departed from me, gone into Thessalonica. What did he do? He loved this present world. He was entrapped. It had a hold of him. He had this greed and it could not be satisfied. And he just, he just abandons me. He leaves because he loved this present world. It's just apostasy. Apostasy. James says they went out from us because they were not really of us. And we need to keep that verse in mind. The, the root was corrupt. The root was, was bad. It was not a love for God. It was a love for money. It was a love for things. Jesus spelled this out for us in Matthew chapter 13 when he was dealing with the uh, parable of the sower. 
And, and you know, the, the farmer goes out and he sows the seeds and some seeds fall on good sto- soil and some fo- fall on stony, stony soil and hard ground. But this one sowed, uh, fell on thorny soil. Verse 22, he says, and the one who, whose seed was sown among the thorns... So it was cultivated, it had been cultivated a little bit, and, and it sprung up, he says. The man who hears the word, and the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of what? Wealth chokes it out. So here's the picture. The gospel sown, that heart responds to that gospel. That heart uh, just flourishes. There's some fruit there that looks like it's good. But the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth chokes it out. It exposes the real heart. The real root is not, not Christ. It was not rooted in things that were right. And it becomes unfruitful there. Essentially, it's unbeliever unsaved. So Paul is exposing the hearts of these people. If they walk away from the faith, they didn't have it to begin with. It's not real. A heart that does not serve God, but serves money, is not a a heart uh, that has received salvation. You say, how do you know? How can I know if I'm greedy? How can I know if I'm entrapped in this greed? How do I know if I have the sin of greed? Let me give you four quick things. Four quick things. Are you, are you content? Are you content? Or do you say, I, I never have enough. It's always a little bit more. I want, I want a little bit more. Are you content? And number two, do you like to flaunt what you do have? The sin of pride kind of goes along with the sin of greed. Kind of the same kind of root. And and you you want to flaunt it. What you have, you just want to. Oh, look what I've got! You know, knew this, knew that. As we evaluate ourselves, do we have greed? And the third question: Say, am I selfish? Do I resent having to give to the Lord? <laughs> I give, but it's not with a cheerful spirit. It's not with a cheerful attitude. You may be struggling with the sin of, of greed. And then number four, often the sin of greed, you, you're willing to sin to get it, to get something else. And I just say compromise. It's compromise. Are you discontent? Are you proud? Are you selfish? And would you be willing to compromise God's word to get what you want? You're willing to steal? You're willing to cheat? Are you willing to... Even commit murder? You have to ask those questions. Does greed grab us? Does greed hold us? It's not whether you have money or not have money. It's your attitude toward that money. Psalm 17, I'll just read this and we'll close. says this, and you can hear the heart of David. He says, As for me, I shall behold your faith your face in righteousness. He's talking to God and he says, I just want to see your face. I want to see your righteousness. And I will be satisfied 
with your likeness. That's righteousness. I just want to look at you and I want that replication to be in me and I'll be satisfied. That's godliness. That's exactly what Paul is trying to tell these church in Ephesus. It's that face. We look at the face of God in righteousness and he says, I'll be satisfied with your loving kindness when I wake, he says. Folks, that's the right emphasis of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for just your word, the the treasure that it is of being able to to walk around, go around these landmines, these, these traps of life. Lord, may we be aware fully of the danger of greed, love of money. And Lord, may we avoid it. Lord, may we be sensitive to You as well. Be content with what You give us. Not be puffed up. But Lord, be content. Be satisfied. Look at the the spiritual blessings that we have. Look at the, the, the gain that we have of everything pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, we can be content. We can be a happy, joyous person. We can be satisfied whether we have riches or poverty. Lord, we, we just thank you for being able to live that kind of life to not be jerked around just by our circumstances. But Lord, we can have joy, contentment, peace in our life, no matter what goes on. And thank you for being a God who abundantly, graciously supplies. Lord, you're so kind. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. Uh, have some elders down front. I'll be in the back. These are serious things. We have to evaluate ourselves. Very subtle things that Paul has gotten into here. The love of money. If um, you, we can help you, I'll be here during the week as well. And if you would like to stop by, you can stop by any time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your giving us these warnings, giving us these danger signs. I pray that we would take heed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.